0: Well, good morning everyone, it's nice to see you all here today. Welcome as well to anyone who is joining us on our live feed. We're glad that you could join us too. Weren't those baptisms wonderful? Why don't we give a big round of applause? Well, today we're winding up our teaching series on finding strength in tough times. Maybe for you that tough time is defined by grief or a health crisis, or marriage problems, or you don't have a job, or your family relationships are difficult. Whatever your situation, where do you find the strength to keep going when you feel powerless to do so? That's what we're wrestling with. And we keep coming back to this. We can't do it alone. Our strength to face life's trials comes first from God and second from each other. We're going to reflect on all of this again today with the help of 1 Peter eventually landing at chapter 4, verses 8 to 11 on page 1891 of the Bible under the chair in front of you. Or you can just look it up on your phone if you wish. But as a bit of a change up today, we're also going to make use of a fictional character to help us unpack things. so let me begin with a story. Any John Grisham fans out there? Yeah, I see a few hands. Grisham is a well-known American novelist. He's just a natural-born storyteller. And I like to pick up one of his books once in a while when I'm looking for a light read uh, because they're easy to get into, they tell a great story, they're quickly finished. Although Grisham does occasionally explore surprisingly deep themes, Christian faith included. You see, Grisham is a Christian, He remains active in church life to this day. And what I really like about Grisham is the fact that Christian faith turns up not in a fake preachy way, but through the very real lived experience of the people you meet in his books. Take his book, The Testament, for example, where we meet Nate O'Reilly. Nate's a lawyer, and his life is a mess. Bankrupt, facing tax evasion charges, twice divorced, a stranger to his kids, Constantly in and out of rehab, he's hit rock bottom. He's, he's powerless with no hope. But he's still a partner in a corporate law firm, and his fellow partners give him one last shot. They send him to the far reaches of the Pantanal in Brazil, as remote as you can get, to find a Christian missionary named Rachel Lane, who has inherited $11 billion dollars. What I love about Nate's story is how his quest to find Rachel becomes his own journey of faith, a journey that takes him from a life defined by powerlessness in the face of life's trials to hope founded on a new identity in Jesus Christ. What's so moving about Nate's journey is the fact that he doesn't travel alone. He discovers his new identity because there are Christians who accompany him along the way, revealing Christ to him. They meet him in his weakness, help him unpack his life, point him in a new direction, travel with him as he grows. Where do you and I find the strength to keep going when we come face-to-face with our weakness, our struggles, our failures, our trials? Nate's story shows us the way. We find it in God with the help of our friends in Jesus. That's how we move forward. More on Nate in a moment, but let's turn now to 1 Peter, the Apostle Peter's letter to Christians in churches scattered over five provinces of the Roman Empire in what is now modern-day Turkey. These were people who knew all about tough times. First of all, because they lacked a common culture. And this diversity caused friction. They didn't always get along. Some church members were from away. They were Jewish Christians pushed out of Jerusalem by persecution who'd relocated north of the Mediterranean into this area, where they mixed with the locals, mostly Gentile Christians who who once worshipped Greek and Roman gods. There were social divisions too. Some churches had salt-of-the-earth country folk mixing with sophisticated city folk. And also rich people, free Roman citizens with all of the rights and privileges of the Roman Empire, sharing a pew with the poor or even with slaves who were property-owned with no freedom at all. Life in these churches was tough, with so little in common, differences pulled them apart, with no real sense of how to move forward, and things were getting worse in a hurry. Because although these churches hadn't figured out who they were yet, they did know who they were not. Let me explain. They left behind their Judaism, their Greek and Roman religion, and also their worship of the Roman emperor as a god. A dangerous thing to do if you were intent on self-preservation in the empire. So now these Christians were something else entirely that was different from the world around them. They were, as Peter says, aliens and strangers in the world. And this got noticed, which is to say... They were an easy target for anyone looking for someone to blame. And this was happening more and more persecution. People noticed if you didn't show up for Sabbath synagogue, or if you didn't offer devotion to Greek and Roman gods, or if you stopped worshiping the emperor as a god. Accusations flew, whisper campaigns began, and worse. We catch glimpses of this throughout Peter's letter, which speaks of insults and slander, example-making and punishments directed at these church folk with even more sinister things to come. Because you see, Peter likely wrote this letter around the time Emperor Nero began killing Christians. This backlash spread throughout the Roman Empire. Big trouble was coming. Folks, here's what I'm saying. Peter writes to people whose view of life is defined by trials and tribulations. They were pulled apart by tensions and squabbles within and by real threats from outside. They were powerless to move forward unless they could see themselves in a new way. Which brings us back to Nate O'Reilly. After a plane crash, an alcoholic relapse, storms and floods and getting lost in the Pantanal, Nate finds Rachel Lane serving Jesus among the Ipaca people. He can't wait to tell her that she's now the richest woman in the world, if she'll just sign on the dotted line. But Rachel could care less. She refuses to sign. Money holds no value for her. She just wants to serve God. Who is this woman, Nate wonders, whose values differ so much from his world, who has a sense of peace about her, who with no apologies quietly urges him to turn to God? In Rachel's saintly presence, Nate can't help himself. He just begins to unpack his life. I am actually not a good person, he says. I do lots of bad things. I am weak and fragile, and I don't want to talk about it. But he keeps on talking confessing the mess of his life, until Rachel brings him up short. Nate, you're living without God. You're a very lonely person. That's how Nate's journey of faith begins. Now let's skip several days ahead in the story. Nate is in Karumba, on the edge of the Pantanal, recovering from dengue fever. One evening out for a walk, he finds a small group of Christians in a chapel. He joins them. The worship is in Portuguese. He has no idea what's going on. But something happens. Let me read for you. Nate closed his eyes and called God's name. God was waiting. With both hands, Nate clenched the back of the pew in front of him. He repeated every weakness and flaw and affliction and evil that plagued him. He confessed them all in one long, glorious acknowledgement of failure. He laid himself bare before God. He held nothing back, and he felt the baggage leave his soul. He saw the face of Christ in agony and pain dying on the cross, dying for him. In that moment, Nate became a man who was no longer lonely. He'd stopped trying to do things in his own strength, yet always coming up short. He'd reached beyond to God with the help of Rachel and a handful of believers in a chapel, and found a new identity in Jesus Christ. His weakness and failures no longer defined him. His relationship with God did. Now he had the power to face life's trials. A new identity in Jesus Christ. That's where Peter goes to in his pastoral concern for the Christians to whom he writes. 1 Peter 1, verse 23. Let's read it together. It's on the screen. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring Word of God. Peter reminds these people that it isn't the tough times, the internal struggles and external threats that should define them. No, not at all. Why? They share a born-again bond of salvation. They're now children of the same Father, God the Father, who has redeemed them through Jesus Christ, the living and enduring Word of God. They are no longer a lonely people trying to do things in their own strength because now Jesus goes with them and will be the source of their strength and power to move forward together in their born-again bond of salvation into whatever lies ahead. So where are you struggling to hold on in the midst of your tough times? What situations, difficult relationships, money troubles, failing health, grief addictions have brought you to a halt and you're powerless to move forward? Well, if that describes you, can I suggest the crucial question you must answer is this. In fact, it's the question we all must answer. What defines you? What defines you? Are your tough times so all-consuming that they are the source of your identity? Or do you find a life-giving identity in Jesus Christ? Look, I'm not asking these questions in a judgy way. No, I'm actually speaking from personal experience here. Pastors are not the exception to the rule. Many of you are new enough to not know that some years ago, I struggled with a prolonged stretch of poor health. For two and a half years, I had an ongoing condition that required surgery to correct. I was in chronic pain. I was exhausted. My personal world was defined by the limitations of this experience. Many days, many days, I felt powerless to move forward. Which is to say that this difficult experience made me realize a difficult truth about myself. You see, I was spiritually lonely. Why? Because my identity in Christ wasn't what it should have been. In fact, I journaled about it. Here's what I wrote. I'm not in a vibrant, moment-by-moment relationship of love and trust with the Lord of my life. And because I'm not fully open to God's leading and power, I'm left too often to deal with things in my own strength and ability. And that rarely ends well. Folks, I had work to do. And can I suggest that if you're trying to tough it out through your tough times in your own strength and ability, it will rarely end well. In fact, it'll take you to a lonely place. But if you reach beyond to God, if you reframe your identity in Christ in the midst of your tough times, you will be able to move forward. Jesus will now be the source of your strength and power in all the difficult times ahead. Look, this isn't just some feel-good thing. It's real. And I want to talk now about one practical way in which we see this. Here it is. God's good company brings us into the good company of fellow believers. As we move from being lonely to God's company, from trying to do things on our own to being strengthened and empowered through Jesus, we also receive the gift of friendship with fellow pilgrims on the way. And that is a powerful thing. Nate O'Reilly discovered this, and Peter's letter, letter talks all about it too. Peter offers spiritual counsel to fearful and doubting Christians in communities of faith that were coming apart at the seams. One of his core messages to to them concerns the fact that their common identity in Christ now gives them the capacity to hold together, to stay connected and do life together, no matter what lies ahead. Which brings us to 1 Peter chapter 4. Above all, Peter writes in verse 8, "'Love each other deeply.'" Peter isn't speaking here of squishy gooey sentiment and emotion. No, the Greek from which this verse is translated refers to the strenuous, consistent, sustained effort of an athlete. So here's what Peter is really saying don't slack off. Love each other by bringing to bear the full scope of your energy and action to unfailingly show love for your brothers and sisters in Jesus even if this stretches you to the very limits of your endurance. Now imagine if we all offered that kind of encouragement to our brothers and sisters in tough times. But Peter goes on. He actually spells out what loving each other should look like in practice. He first reminds them, verse 8, that love covers over a multitude of sins. The way this phrase is constructed in the Greek is an echo of Proverbs 10:12, which reads, hatred stirs up dissension, but love covers over all wrongs. Remember, Peter's writing to stressed-out Christians who are falling apart because of internal problems and external threats. They're not in a good space. Dissension is everywhere. They're fearful, they're not getting along. Peter speaks into that reality and basically says, practice grace with each other. Don't expose the slights or faults of your fellow Christians. Don't spread ill feelings. Don't disgrace each other. Overlook one another's sins. Hide each other's faults and flaws. Just as God in Jesus Christ overlooked the multitude of your sins and offered you grace instead. 1 Peter 2, verses 21 to 24. To this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. Folks, our identity in Christ brings us into fellowship with believers whose lives, just like our own lives, aren't perfect. That's the truth. And all our imperfections get magnified in the tough times. But we are still called to stand by each other, to practice grace with each other, just as Jesus stands by us, and overlooks the multitude of our sins. Time for another Nate O'Reilly story. Nate is back in Washington, D.C. His law partners still don't know what to do with him. Frankly, they don't trust him. Uh, So one partner, Josh, offers Nate his country home on Chesapeake Bay while it all gets sorted out. Off Nate goes to the village of St. Michael's where nothing is open on Sundays except for church which is how he ends up at Trinity Church and meets the pastor, Phil Lancaster. Phil and his wife, Laura, invite Nate home for lunch, and over a leisurely afternoon, a life-giving friendship grows. At Phil's invitation, he and Nate become regular coffee buddies, where Nate unpacks his life, shares his faith journey, and with Phil's encouragement, begins to read the Bible and pray You know, it's amazing how the simple gift of hospitality can lead to real change in a person's life. The apostle Peter certainly understands this. That's why he doesn't just urge the people to whom he writes to practice grace with each other, but also challenges them to deepen their fellowship by, verse 9, offering hospitality to one another without grumbling. Hospitality was the lifeblood of the early church. Church simply couldn't have happened without it because there were no church buildings. Believers came together for fellowship, worship, and teaching in homes instead. Hospitality also grew Christian fellowship through churches throughout the Roman Empire. Believers offered free room and board to Christians on the move, missionaries, teachers, the persecuted. That's how they all survived in the face of growing opposition and pressures to conform. And also how word got around and letters such as 1 Peter were circulated, uh, bonding believers in a common understanding of Jesus Christ. That's how stories of Jesus spread. And reflection on these stories happened in letters and in table conversations, turning hospitality into teachable moments that grew faith. That's how recalling Christ. Passover with his disciples were shared, stories about that. And then that led believers to reenact the story in their house churches when they broke bread together. Peter knows all this, this, uh, this reality of house churches, this tradition of hospitality. But he's also aware of the pressures that both are now under, and he's determined that they must survive. Why? For the sake of fellowship and worship and teaching that'll continue to fully form believers into their identity in Christ. So here's what Peter is really saying in verse 9. Deepen your fellowship by practicing hospitality without complaint, even when you've had it up to here with people. Open your homes, break bread together, for as you do, you'll thrive as a church, most of all, most of all, because it'll cause you to remember your Lord's teaching and His life-giving sacrifice, strengthening your faith. You know, even though we're meeting here today in a church building, in a world that's quite different from 1 Peter, we have much in common with the Christians of that time. Like them, our shared identity in Christ brings us together to do life with each other. And hospitality is still important for the same reasons, too. We're called to live with a sense of welcome and invitation to each other, whether it's coffee at Timmy's with the added incentive of roll up the rim, or lunch together, or bringing a meal to someone who is not well or in grief, or asking a person to join your life group or Bible study, or just dropping by to share friendship and prayer with a person stuck at home. And can I suggest that the kindness of hospitality becomes especially important for people in tough times? Their identity in Christ could be fraying around the edges as doubt takes hold they might feel alone all over again. So our life-giving friendship through hospitality can make all the difference. It provides an emotional lift, of course. But more importantly, it creates teachable moments to sustain people in their faith, to help them maintain their identity in Christ, even in the loneliness of doubt. Hospitality sustains and grows faith in Jesus during difficult times as we model Christ's grace to each other, pray and search scriptures together, talk about where faith meets life, and recall Christ broken on a cross over a shared donut at Timmy's. Hospitality, Nate's life is changed by it. The people in 1 Peter are called to offer it, and we are too. How do we deal with tough times? Well, in part by doing life together, practicing grace with each other, and offering hospitality to each other. But there's one more thing. Peter also emphasizes how important it is to do spirit gifted ministry together, too. Peter says in verse 10 that each person should use whatever gifts he has received to serve others. He's referring to spiritual gifts here. Verse 10 speaks of God's grace in its various forms. In the Greek, Grace and gift are interchangeable. So Peter is speaking of special spiritual abilities that God in His goodness entrusts to us when we welcome Jesus into our lives and find our identity in Him. Although verse 11 only refers to gifts of speaking and service, it's clear that these are actually broad categories that include all the spiritual gifts that the Apostle Paul mentions, teaching, preaching, tongues, prophecy, and many, many more. So here's, here's what uh, Peter is saying. Now that your identity is in Jesus, God entrusts each of you with spiritual gifts which you are to use as good stewards, verse 10, to serve and build up your fellowship, all the while seeking God's wisdom, not your own, verse 11, as one speaking the very words of God and relying, verse 11 again, on the strength that God provides. If you do this, your fellowship will indeed reveal God's glory and power forever and ever. Amen. I know that's all a bit deep and complicated, uh, but there's an important truth here that we need to grasp. But first, one last story about Nate. Besides coffee and conversation, Pastor Phil gets Nate working on a project building classrooms in the basement of the church. It becomes a daily part of Nate's routine. Gone are the days of personal destruction. His identity in Christ is taking shape. And this basement remodeling is an important part of his own spiritual renovation. God is growing a servant's heart within Nate that is now being translated into active ministry to build up the church. In other words, having discovered a new identity in Christ, Nate is now living as a spirit-gifted person for God. And this ultimately leads him into a new life calling. But I won't spoil the end of the story, I'll say no more. Folks, here's the important truth that I want you to grasp. Even in your tough times, God can and does use you to carry on ministry that builds each other up. When your tough times no longer define you, when you find your identity in Christ instead, you become a spirit-gifted person whom God uses in mighty ways. And that is incredible. In fact, can I be so bold as to suggest that like Nate, God takes you broken, wounded, overwhelmed by life and redeems it all through Christ, turning these experiences into spiritual giftedness that has a supernatural impact within the ministry of the church. We can even see this here at River Cross. Take the Hope Mission. Hope Mission is a ministry to people on the margins of life who know all about tough times. But I want to let you in on a little secret. Tough times is also the common experience of those whom God calls to serve in this ministry. If some of them told you their stories, you'd see what I mean. But God has redeemed their experiences of brokenness turning these into real heart and spiritual giftedness, into wisdom, discernment, service, and mercy that is having a life-changing impact on people. Never believe that the difficulties in your life exclude you from God's work. No, not at all. The truth is your tough times equip you for ministry through the redeeming work of Christ. And now you go out, hand in hand with your brothers and sisters in Jesus, with servants' hearts and in spirit-gifted power to change the world. Where do you and I find the strength to keep going when we come face-to-face with our weakness, our struggles, our failures, our trials? We find it in God with the help of our friends in Jesus, our common identity in Jesus Christ. That's how we move forward. So let's practice grace with one another. Show hospitality towards each other. Do spirit-gifted ministry together and bring the life-giving hope of Jesus to our world. Let's pray together. God, we're so grateful that you extend grace and welcome to us through your Son, Jesus Christ, making us brand new and that we now go out in the power of who you are into the tough times in our lives, knowing that as we go, we are also surrounded and supported by our brothers and sisters in Jesus. So take us as we are, Lord, but gift and grow us through your Spirit's work to become your servants in this difficult world. Help us to love each other through acts of grace and hospitality and ministry so that our witness in this world will be strong and life-changing. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.